David says, as you heard, verse 1 of Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. I'm going to turn this off just for a minute. If you guys get hot, tell me. Um, I waited patiently for the Lord. So what's implied there? What's implied? If he waited patiently, what's implied? Much time has passed, <laughs> right? Um, much time has passed. So I thought I would ask you, I thought I would ask you uh, to define the word time for me. It's a word that we use every day. It's a word we intuitively understand. It's not a word that's easily, easily defined. Now, how would you define the word time? Anybody? It's a little bit tricky, huh? Yeah, it's one of those words we know what it means, but it's hard to define. So I looked it up. A non-spatial continuum in which events occur in apparently irreversible succession. That's what you were going to say, right, Shaheen? Oh, okay. A non-spatial continuum. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a difficult word to to put into, uh, to actually define. I watched a television documentary some years ago, and they were talking about the one invention that radically changed modern life. And at first, when I, when I heard them say it, I, I, I was, I was uh, doubtful. But the more they talked about it, the more I understood. Anybody know what it is? The clock is a very good guess. It's a very good guess, Electra. In light of the fact I was talking about time. It's the affordable, mass-produced wristwatch. It fundamentally changed modern life. Suddenly, everybody knew what time it was, how much time they'd lost, and how much time they needed in their life. So, with that wristwatch, we learned to live in a hurry, and we started to live faster and faster and faster. And of course now, as you know, we have fast food, drive-through banking, internet shopping, fast cars, superhighways, bullet trains, jet planes, and instantaneous communication with our cell phones. Um, the modern man and woman, we want it now and we want it fast, right? Isn't that how it is? Um, I don't know, one of my weaknesses would be patience. If Karen were candid with you, she would tell you that I'm not the most patient person. How many of you are naturally patient? Anybody? Not very many human beings are. Eleni's patient, especially when she's napping, right? <laughs> Michaela is patient? No, he's Italian, so I have to be patient. <laughs> okay, he's Italian. Uh, I understand, so you have to be patient. Um, God says, hurry up and know that I am God, right? Is, is, is that how it goes? How does God, what does God say in, in Psalm 46.10? What does He say? Be still and know that I am God. You already know this, right? You, you don't get God on a fast food basis. You can't have drive-through theology and spirituality with God. It doesn't work that way with God. You have to set aside 
some non-spatial continuum if you want to know Jehovah. He is the Ancient of Days. He is the God for whom a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a, is a day. There's no driving through the, the, the fast food line with Him. You have to allocate time to God. If you want to know God, and you want to know God's will for your life, you have to allocate time for God. Now, if you're His and you're not allocating time to Him, God knows how to make you still. Right? Doesn't God know how to make His people still? So they will know Him better and understand the purpose for which they are walking the planet? Um, yeah. It's not hurry up and know. It's be still and know that I am God. I love the literal Hebrew. It's desist. God says desist. Now, some of you are running here and there and you've got 15 things to do every day, but God gets pushed out. God is always getting pushed out. God says desist from that kind of lifestyle. Desist and know that I am God. I love the New American Standard. It says, cease striving. Some of you are striving unnecessarily. God says, stop striving and know Me. Take time to be with Me. Develop the relationship with Me. Right? Love Me. Delight in Me. Some of the things that we've been talking about over the last month or so. Most of us want it now and we want it fast. You can't do business with God like that. Some of you are probably trying. You cannot do business with the Alpha and the Omega God that way. God knows how to slow us down. He knows how to make us still. Sometimes it involves a pit. <laughs> and that brings me back to the psalm. Psalm 40, verse 1. David is in a pit. And when I, when I read it, it made me think of an Old Testament character who was in a pit. Does anybody, does it, can anybody guess who I'm thinking about? There are a couple of guys actually, but one came to my mind immediately. Who was in a literal pit? Anybody remember? Joseph. Joseph? Joseph was in a pit. He was in a literal pit. Now, you guys know Joseph, right? He's the, the, the youngest son at that time of Jacob. Jacob loved Joseph the best because he was the son of his old age. And of course, all of his brothers knew that he was the favored one and they hated him for it. And Joseph had a dream about all of his brothers bowing down to him. He even had a dream about his mother and father bowing down to him. And this made his brothers hate him all the more. Well, his brothers were out working the flocks and Jacob sent Joseph to go and check on the brothers. Well, the brothers saw him coming and they hated him so much when they saw him coming, they schemed on how to kill Joseph and get away with it. Now, the eldest brother, Reuben, who did not go along with the plan, said, 
What we need to do is throw him in this pit for right now. Let's not kill him now. Let's throw him in the pit. So Joseph gets thrown in the pit, right? Reuben's intent was to set him free at a later time. But what happened was, you guys know the story, the Ishmaelites, an Ishmaelite caravan came through, right? It came through. And Judah had a good idea. Well, why should we kill the boy? Let's sell him as a slave and at least get the money for him. So, Joseph is sold into slavery. So he comes out of the literal pit into the metaphorical pit of slavery. Then what happens to him? Anybody know? The next pit that Joseph ends up in? He ends up with the Egyptians. And the Egyptians like, like him and make him the head of something. Mm-hmm. But then uh, a woman wanted to seduce him, but given that she was the wife of another important man, right. he, uh, he said no. And she tricked him and uh, he was sent to jail for quite some, a long time. That's right. Excellent, Electra. He, he ends up in another pit of sorts. Prison. The literal pit. Slavery. Prison. Um, all of it unjust. All of it is unjust. So, does anyone know how long Joseph, how long this trial, this tribulation lasted for Joseph? Does anybody? How many? Twelve. Very good. Very close. Thirteen years. Thirteen years. David says, I waited patiently upon the Lord. Have you ever waited 13 years for God's deliverance? We don't have any idea what patience is. I don't think any of us have any idea what patience is anymore. 13 years. 13 years. I was sharing with a a young man some years ago, he was bemoaning the fact that he'd been in a trial for an extended period of time and he'd been asking God to deliver him and he expected God to show up and get it done, right? That was the implication. The implication was, why hasn't God shown up and gotten me out of this pit? What's God doing? And I asked him, I said, do you know the story of Joseph? Do you know the story of Joseph? Yes, he knew the story. I said, do you know how long Joseph was were in the pits? Literally? Slavery and prison, figuratively? He had no idea. I said, go read it. And you come back and let's talk. You go, tell, you go find out how long Joseph was in those pits and you, you come back and let's talk. Thirteen years, Joseph was in the trial. Thirteen years. David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. I want to ask you, are you willing to trust God like that? Would you trust God for thirteen years? Would you? Would you trust God for thirteen years? Would you be giving God glory for thirteen years? You know what Joseph did, right? Why didn't as Electra pointed out, uh, Potiphar's captain bought Joseph. Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Joseph. But what did Joseph 
What did Joseph do? Remember what he said when she tried to seduce him? How could I dishonor God like this? He gives glory to God. The other thing he does is when he uh, interprets the dreams for his fellow prisoners and ultimately for Pharaoh, again he gives glory to God. He's, he's, in, he's in the midst of a 13-year trial and he never stops obeying God and giving glory to God. Now I'm just going to ask you, I know what it's like when you're in a trial. I've been in a few. And one of the first things that happens is we want to feel sorry for ourselves, right? Don't you want to feel sorry for yourself? Don't you want to feel like it's unfair? Don't you want to feel like God is not hearing you and listening to, listening to you and seeing you? Isn't that how we are? Yes, of course it's how we are. Well, maybe you're different. I know that's how I am. I know that's how I am. You watch Joseph. He just honors God. He just keeps honoring God for 13 years. He's in the pit. He's in the pit. But God is doing something. God is doing something in Joseph's life. Beloved, God is not concerned with how much of your non-spatial continuum He uses. He will teach you to be still if you belong to Him. And He will teach you to trust Him. He'll teach you to be looking for the Romans 8.28 thing. Who knows what Romans 8.28 says? I bet it's probably my most oft-repeated verse from the pulpit. Romans 8.28. I'll read it to you. For we know... Right? The Christian, okay, I want, this is big. It's not that we hope or we postulate or it's our conjecture or maybe God will do X, Y, Z. Paul says we know God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, those, those called according to His purpose, even if it takes 13 years in the pit. Right? That's how much you love God. That's how much you trust God. If it's 13 years in the pit with God, that's better than being out of the pit without God. Am I right? Maybe not. Am I right? Yes! I'm right! I'm right! God is always doing something in His people. He's always doing the Romans 8.28 and Romans 8.29 thing. What does Romans 8.29 say? He's going to bring you into conformity with His Son. One thing that the pit is about is that you'll come out more like Jesus than when you went in. Right? You'll be more like Christ when you come out of the pit than when you entered into the pit. I waited patiently for the Lord, David and Joseph, Maybe you can put your own name in there. Maybe you're learning how to put your own name in there. And look, and God inclined to me. He heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and He set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. And He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. 
What a beautiful, beautiful text. <laughs> Eugene Peterson, his paraphrase, the Message Bible, this is how he paraphrases verse 1. I, David says, I have waited and waited and waited for God. The literal Hebrew is beautiful. The literal Hebrew is the sermon title. Listen to, listen to the, the, one of the translations I saw in the literal Hebrew. The literal Hebrew reads like this. David says, I have diligently expected Jehovah. Don't you love that? It doesn't matter how long you're in the pit. That doesn't matter. I know it may be inconvenient and hard and difficult for you. Sometimes it is. I've been in the low spot. I understand. But the Christian, like David, we diligently expect Jehovah. We diligently expect Jehovah. We're not just waiting um, and merely waiting. We're expecting. We're expecting. We're expecting God to change us. We're expecting God to teach us something new about Him. We're expecting to be used of God. How does it end there? that many will see and fear and will trust the Lord. You know, ultimately, the pit is about evangelism, right? <laughs> it's not simply about God changing you and revealing Himself to you in a new way. It's about evangelism because your children, your spouse, your neighbors, your co-workers are supposed to see you in the pit praising Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. It's not for you to wring your hands and feel sorry for yourself and moan and groan all over town because you've got it so bad. Listen, I'm not going to make light of some of the very difficult things uh, that we go through. I've been through uh, a couple myself at my age, you can imagine. But we need to learn how to wait upon the Lord and expect Jehovah. Expect Jehovah. Expect that He will come to us. David is expecting Jehovah to come and do that Romans 8.28 and that Romans 8.29 thing. Verse 1, And God inclined to me. He heard me. He brought me up out of the pit. He set my feet upon a rock. God put a new song in my mouth. We were talking about it Friday at lunch with the ladies. When you go through the pit, you learn a new song. It's a song you never knew before. It's a song you couldn't sing before because it wasn't real to you. But when, you come, when God brings you out of the pit, you're fundamentally different. Your faith has grown up, as one theologian says. Your faith has grown up. Your view of God has expanded. You have a new song. You have something new to say about God to your children, to your spouse, to your best friend to your roommate. Right? You have a new song. The, the pit has put a... God has put a new song in your mouth in the pit. And again, David says, many will see and fear. They'll hear my song. They will see and fear and trust God. Right? That's what you do, right? That's your job. That's what Christians do. That's what real Christians do. We talk about this God in the world. We're out in the world talking about Jesus Christ. You say, well, Jim, people don't want to hear about Jesus Christ. I understand. I know they don't want to hear about Jesus Christ. But 
when the opportunity is there, we need to speak His name. You know, I've told you this many, many times. I, I exhort you, don't use the generic word God in the world. 98% of the human race believes in some kind of God. Right? There's only about 2 or 3 to 4% atheists. Everybody believes in some kind of God, more or less. Don't speak generically about God in the world. You use the name Jesus Christ. You purposely use the name Jesus Christ. David says, many will see and fear and they will trust. Beloved, the pit has always advanced evangelism. It's, it's always advanced evangelism. The people in your orbit are supposed to see no matter how hard it is, that Jesus Christ is better than anything else in this world. Better than success. Better than love. Human love. Better than children. Better than the perfect marriage. Better than the perfect career. Better than the accumulation of, of, of much material, many material things. Jesus Christ is better. Your life is supposed to shout that. And when you're in the pit and you're loving Him and worshiping Him, that's when your life is shouting the loudest. That's when your evangelism is the most powerful. Jesus Christ is better than anything this world can give and Jesus Christ is better than anything death can take. I love the thing John Piper says, famous preacher in the States. He contracted cancer. He said, God taught me not to waste my cancer. Isn't that powerful? I think it's powerful. Karen had cancer. Don't waste the cancer. Make much of Jesus in the cancer. Or whatever the trial is. Make much of Jesus. Of course Jesus can heal me if it pleases Him to do so. But if He lets me die in, in the wisdom of God, in the providence of God, if it's my time to go, I'm good with that too. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Beloved, the people around you need to see this. The people around you need to see that your faith is a death-defying faith. Whether I live, whether I die, I will magnify the name I will magnify the name of Jesus. So in the pit, David, Joseph, you, you, if you're a Christian tonight, wait upon the Lord with expectancy. With expectancy. You have to know if you're a Christian that God is doing something that is beyond your understanding. Joseph had no idea that very soon he was going to be vice president of Egypt. He had no idea that was coming. Absolutely no idea. What God is going to do in your life through the trial, you have no idea. You have no idea how you will be changed. As I talk about in my book, as you find out who you're supposed to be in Christ, not who you are, but who you're supposed to be in Christ, because we're all in a perpetual state of being changed, aren't we? We're all in a perpetual state of being changed. Not only who we are in Christ, but who God is. 
and what thing God wants to do through me, right? What thing God wants to do through me. This is all the things that we're thinking about as we go through the trial. Verse 4, How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud nor the, those who lapse into falsehood. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders which You have done and Your thoughts toward us. There is none to compare with You. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. What does the word blessed mean? You guys know this. What does it mean? What does the word blessed mean in the Bible? Happy. Happy is the man who trusts in God. I'm in the pit, Jim. Well, do you trust Jesus Christ? Of course I do. Then be happy. Be a happy man. Your sovereign God is doing something in your life. I know you have to cry right now. I understand it. Sometimes we cry. Sometimes we hurt. Sometimes we hurt terribly. But it's not wasted pain. <laughs> you know, the unbeliever for the unbeliever, it's just wasted pain. Not for the Christian. God's doing something. He's doing a Romans 8.28 and a Romans 8.29 thing. He's changing you into the image of Jesus. That's what He's doing, beloved. One of the things He's doing. Circumstance does not dictate my view of God. My view of God dictates my view of circumstance. Amen? My view of God doesn't... It never changes. In fact, it, it, let me say it this way. It never regresses. It's always moving forward. I'm always learning more about God. We diligently expect Jehovah to do what He has promised. I, I was looking um, at this great quote from R.C. Sproul about what real faith is. He says, To live by faith is to live by trust. You know, I've been doing this for a long time. Sometimes when the crisis comes in a professed believer's life, they are completely blown away. And you really find out, you find out, were they standing on the rock or just some kind of religious experience? You understand? You know what I'm saying? When the hard thing comes, they are completely blown away. Just utterly blown over. They weren't standing on the rock at all, right? They'd had some kind of emotional experience or someone told them they were a Christian because they prayed some magic prayer. It wasn't real. It wasn't real. Listen, the trial, the trial will prove it's one thing God is doing. I think go read 1 Peter chapter 1. It's one thing God is doing showing you that your faith is genuine. I've told you this many times. God loves you too much to settle for temporal happiness. He loves you too much to settle for merely temporal happiness. He will change you. Look at the last few verses there, the last phrase there in, in verse 4. We don't trust in the ways of the world. He talks about the proud. And he, talks about false being, uh, he talks about falsehood there. We trust in God and we trust in His perfect Romans 8.28 ways. 
Verse 5 is a mini doxology, meaning praise and worship. Yes, of course, we praise God for the, the myriad wonders of creation and, and the countless wonders of, of our own bodies, uh, heart, mind, and soul. But, but David touches on something here that is truly breathtaking. He talks about God's thoughts toward His people. God's thoughts toward His people. David says they are too numerous Uh, too numerous to count. So how long has the God who is from everlasting to everlasting loved His people? How long? How long? Tell me. Ever since He's been God. Ever since He's been God. So how do you quantify the thoughts of an eternal and infinite mind on any topic, particularly God's thoughts regarding His elect? This is breathtaking. In a sense, David is saying, I understand that Jehovah has had me on His heart forever. Forever. You think this trial, you think this pit caught God by surprise? Is this a shock to God that you're in this place? Was it a shock to God that Job landed where he landed? Was it a shock to God? No! God is a sovereign God. God is doing something that Job can't begin to understand, nor can you begin to understand. Is Christianity principally about understanding? What's it principally about? Faith! It's principally about faith! It's about trusting God. Even when the whole world is saying your God doesn't exist. Your God has abandoned you. And Satan is whispering in your ear He doesn't care about you. You know, He's not paying attention. He doesn't have the power. He doesn't care. We say, no. My God is God. I trust Him. If I have to stay in this pit 13 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, have you ever read the story of uh, Joni uh, Erickson Tata, the, the American uh, teenager who dove into the, the lake and broke her neck and she was a paraplegic the rest of her life? She's been in a pit all of her life. A physical pit. If you haven't read her story, go read it. I don't have time to tell you about it. Joni Erickson Tata, uh, who's been used mightily of God as a, as a paraplegic. So... The thoughts of God toward His people. The thoughts of God toward His people. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. Let me read verses 6-8. through Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offerings you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of Me. I delight to do Your will. O my God, Your law is within My heart. We've talked a lot about this over the last month or so. God once again repudiates rote and ritualistic religion. Even if it had the the banner of Judaism over it, or now has the banner of Christianity over it, if it's rote, if it's ritualistic, if it's brain dead, if it's heart dead, God hates it. Right? God hates it. It's one of the things 
we're talking about here. I can still remember as a young man when I was first converted at 28, and I was reading through the Bible for the first time, and I, I, hit, I hit Amos chapter 5. Listen to the words of, of God in Amos chapter 5. He says, I hate what you do! He says, I hate what you do in religion. He says, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the sound of your harps. God hates religion. All religion. Including Religion that operates under the guise of Christianity. What is God interested in? We've talked about it many, many times. What is God interested with you? Your religion? He hates it. What is He interested with you? He's interested... Oh, I think it's in the text. How about verse 8? That you would delight in Him. From your heart! It's always about the heart with God. The biblical God. It's always about the heart. Will you delight in God? Will you love God? Is it real? <laughs> David says, listen, I know there's some outward things we do in the temple. There's some outward things we do, but what God really delights in is the heart. Is the heart. God hates brain-dead religion. He always has hated it. But you see there, in the last half there of verse 6, he says, but you have opened my ears, right? It's an allusion to the born again thing, right? <laughs> I now hear. I've been born again. I, I have the Spirit of God. I, 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 I'm beginning to understand the words of God. And I'm being changed. This religion thing, um, you guys know how Jesus condemned His ongoing battle with the Pharisees. Matthew 23, Jesus, I think He gives them eight woes. He says, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you because of your religion. Go read it for yourself. And Jesus said, you are whitewashed tombs, you are snakes, and you are hell-bound. These are the most religious men who ever walked the earth. Not only religious men, but men who profess to, to be faithful in an Old Testament uh, sense. They were the leaders of Judaism. And Jesus says, you guys got it all wrong. <laughs> you got it all wrong. It's what David is saying here. It's what David is saying here. Verse 8, delight from the heart. Delight from the heart. And that's, that's, that's the deal, right? We can't fake that. You can't fake that. Now, I can fool you, you can fool me, but you can't fake it with God. God knows if you love Him from the heart or not. Actually, you do. You know Him. You know if you love Him from the heart or not. And I lovingly say to you as your pastor, that's what God is after in your life. He's not, he's not simply after outward conformity. He wants you, as David says, I delight to do your will, because Your law is in my heart. It's a powerful thing. Verses 9 and 10. I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips. O Lord, You know. I have not hidden Your righteousness within my heart. I have spoken of Your faithfulness and Your salvation. I have not concealed Your loving kindness and Your truth 
from the great congregation. What's David saying here? What have we been seeing uh, through this series on the Psalms? What do the psalmists always end up doing? What do they always end up doing? What do they always end up doing? They always end up proclaiming, right? They always end up proclaiming the truth. They always end up proclaiming the glory of God. It's what they do. It's who they are. It's why they walk the planet. It's why you're walking the planet. You say, no, Jim, I'm pretty sure I'm here to make a lot of money. I'm pretty sure I'm here to, to just accumulate enough stuff to be comfortable and be at my ease. I'm pretty sure I'm just supposed to have a great career and have a perfect marriage and have perfect kids. I'm pretty sure that's what God wants. Well, God may give you some or all of those things, but what God is looking for in your life is that you're like the psalmist. You're proclaiming it. You're proclaiming the truth. You proclaim the truth. It's who you are, beloved. Or you're not a Christian. Let me just be honest with you. If you're not a proclaimer of the Gospel, you don't know anything about the Gospel. Because people who know the Gospel, people who have come to understand the Gospel, they're always telling other people. Just read it in your Bible. You find one person in the Bible who's genuinely converted who is not telling other people. Find that person for me. It just happens. That's what David is saying. I will proclaim. I will proclaim. I have not hidden your righteousness from my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and truth. David says, I speak in the congregation. I speak in the temple. I speak among the people of God. It's what we do in the church. Of course, we speak in the church, but we also speak out there. Beloved, we're supposed to be speaking out there. Religious people come to church sometimes. Disciples come at every opportunity and then they go out in the world equipped to speak the truth in the world. It's what God expects from His people. Verse 11, You, O Lord, will not withhold Your compassion from Me, your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. For evils beyond number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to see. They are more numerous than the hairs of my head, and my heart has failed me. It's kind of what we talked about last week, right? In Psalm 90. God knows all our sin. And David's talking about his sin here. God knows it all. He has seen it all. It's all before God. That's a terrifying thing on the one hand. And a bittersweet thing on the other. He knows all my sin. And He has loved me. Right? There's a sweetness there. It's embarrassing and troubling that God sees everything. Even my secret thoughts, He knows. But He loves me. And He's paid for every one of those sins. It's one of the things David is talking about. Verse 11, God's compassion will not be withheld from me even though I am a great sinner. You've never not met someone who is not a great sinner. We're all great sinners. 
Some are worse than others, but we're all great sinners. It's the truth of all mankind. David says God's loving kindness will always hold and preserve me. You guys remember Psalm 103, 10-13. God has not dealt with us according to our sin, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's loving kindness toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far He has removed our transgressions from us. David is a forgiven sinner. If you're a Christian tonight, so are you. And the beautiful thing is, as far as the east is from the west, God has removed our sin from us. Verse 13, Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. Make haste, O Lord, to help me. Let those be ashamed and humiliated together who seek my life to destroy it. Let those who turned back and dishonored, let those be turned back and dishonored who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha. How many of you knew Aha was in the Bible? <laughs> it's in the Bible three times. Aha. Aha. Um, once again, as we've seen several times of late, David is praying what God has already promised. David is praying the promises of God back to God. This is a powerful thing for us to do. Um, God has already promised to deliver and help David. Here's the thing: He doesn't give David a time. He doesn't give David a timetable, right? It might be 13 years. It might be 20. But what do we do in the meantime? We're loving God. We're worshiping God. We're proclaiming God. There's no timetable here. David has full assurance. He has an expectancy that Jehovah will deliver him and help him. He just doesn't have the timetable. God doesn't give us the timetable. He never gives us the timetable. But here's what I've learned about God in my life and also in Scripture. He's never early and He's never late. Right? God's right on time. He knows what He's doing. He's a competent God. He is a competent God. So David is praying. And as we've noted, God delights in the prayers of His people. Proverbs 15.8 The prayer of the upright is my delight. Is what God says. This is God's Word. Did you know your prayers were His delight? Are you spending time with Him in prayer? That conversation that we've talked about so often. Are you in the conversation? If you're not in the conversation, I lovingly say to you, I'd, you probably don't know Him. If you're not in a conversation with Him, you don't know Him. If you know Him, you're in the conversation. In fact, you can't help but be in the conversation. He's the one you love to confide in. He's the one you love to spend time with. Verses 14 and 15, David prays that his enemies, who are the enemies of God, would be ashamed, humiliated, turned back, dishonored, and appalled in their shame. Of course, such is the result for all who would choose to be the enemies of God. Of God, but those who seek the Lord, verse 16, they shall rejoice and 
be glad. They will say, the Lord be magnified. What does it mean? The Lord be magnified. What does it mean? You know, you can't make God any bigger than He is, right? A lot of us think, well, magnif magnification means we're going to make something small look big. Well, that doesn't work with God. But what does it mean to, to magnify the Lord? To make His fame known is what it means. I'll make His fame known. I'll make the words of God about God known. I'll make His fame known in the pit. The people in my orbit will see the fame of God as I trust Him 13 years. Can you imagine how much that delights God? Can you imagine the reward you are storing up? The good steward is storing up in heaven? When you can be still and delight in God in the pit for 13 years, it's... Beloved, it's not about you. I tell you this all the time. It's not about you. It's never been about you. It's never going to be about you. It is about Jesus Christ. It is about Jesus Christ. You're not irrelevant, right? I was reading a theologian this week. You're not irrelevant. In God's story, you're just the perfect size, he says. I love this. He said, in God's story, you're just the right size. You're not the middle of the universe as some of you think you probably are. Jesus Christ is the center. And everything that goes on in our life is in relation to Him. Are you in a pit? Have you been in a pit for 13 years? That's all about Jesus. I hope you learn to think this way. I hope that you... Too. So Joseph spent 13 years in one pit or the other. God was doing something Joseph could never begin to imagine or understand. God was taking an imprudent young shepherd boy and He's going to turn him into the ruler of that part of the world. Bringing Joseph into the pit and ultimately through it, Genesis 37 to 47. Go read it for yourself. It's an astonishing story. God did a great work in Joseph's heart. God revealed his greatness to the pagan peoples of Egypt. And God worked a great deliverance of his chosen people during a great famine. Let me ask you will you trust God in the pit? You have no idea what God has in store for you. But will you trust him in the pit? I just re refer you to Joseph. I refer you to Joseph. Do you see what God did through Joseph? Now, you're probably not going to be vice president of Egypt. That's probably not going to happen. God probably God may have something infinitely greater than that. Maybe not greater in the eyes of the world, but greater in the spiritual realm. But we've got to stop thinking small. We've got to stop thinking like the world thinks. We need to start thinking like God thinks. So if you belong to Jesus, if you know Him and if you love Him, God says, you wait patiently on Me. You wait patiently on Me. And I'll put a new song in your mouth. Some of you don't believe it yet. I'm going to challenge you to believe it. I'm going to challenge you to let that change the way you live. God will put a new song in your mouth. And as David writes, I have diligently expected Jehovah. Do you? I'm going to close with a quote. David Pallison is a contemporary Christian counselor and teacher in the States. And he says this, and I'm done. 
He asks he asks and answers this question. How does God's grace engage in your suffering? Okay, you're suffering. How does God's grace engage in your suffering? What is one thing God is doing? He's always doing a billion things at once. But Paulson uh, uh, zeroes in on, on this on these few comments. Isn't this true? He says, I want a quick fix. Isn't that what you want? <laughs> you want a quick fix? When it's hard, don't you want a quick fix? When you're disappointed, don't you want a quick fix? When you've been slandered, don't you want a quick fix? Uh, when you're being persecuted, don't you want a quick fix? When your spouse uh, leaves, don't you want a quick fix? Whatever the trial. He says, we want a quick fix. But God sets about to give us a long, slow answer. Don't you love that? God's answer insists on changing you into a different kind of person. Are you willing to be changed? Pallison continues, God will surprise you. He will make you stop. You will struggle. He will bring you up short. You will hurt. He will take His time. You will grow in faith and in love. He will deeply delight you in the pit. You will find the process harder than you ever could have imagined. And better. I love this guy. I love what he's writing. He continues, We need to feel the weight and significance of God in our lives. He never disappoints, though He wisely sets about to disappoint our false hopes. God will always dash our false hopes. Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, listen to this last sentence, God... Uh, pardon me, goodness and mercy follow you. God's voice speaks deeper than what hurts, brighter than what is dark, and more enduring than what is lost, truer than what has happened. I'm going to read it to you again. You're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Goodness and mercy follow you. God's voice speaks deeper than what hurts, brighter than what is dark, more enduring than what is lost, truer than what has happened. Your faith grows up. Your faith grows up. Eugene Peterson, Psalm 23.6, the paraphrase. I love it. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. This is what the true believer understands. In the pit or out of the pit. God's beauty and love chase after me every day of my life and I live accordingly. I believe it and I live it. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, what a powerful, powerful psalm. Forgive us, Father, for almost always feeling sorry for ourselves. That's our first human fleshly inclination. Woe is me. This is not fair. Why did this happen to me? God, why aren't You treating me better? Lord, forgive us that we think on such a superficial level so many times. We thank You for this psalm. We thank You that You are exhorting us to wait patiently and to diligently expect Expect you to come into our lives to change us, 
to expand our view of who You are. To become the evangelists You've called us to be. That men may see and fear and trust in the great biblical God. Because we're worshiping You in the pit. Thank You, Lord God, that You don't leave us in the pit any longer than is perfectly necessary. We trust You in that, Lord. You brought David out. You brought David out. And you set him on a rock. And you put a new song in his mouth. Oh God, I pray that we would learn to think and live like this. That our first inclination would not be to feel sorry for ourselves. Our first inclination would be God's doing something I can't begin to understand. And Romans 8, 28 and 29 are happening right now in my life. Lord, when You put that new song in our mouth, I pray we will sing it. People are dying around us. People are lost and perishing. Some are caught up in pseudo-Christianity. Some are caught up in secularism. Some are caught up in humanism, materialism, etc., etc., Lord God, may we be Your mouthpiece. May we sing the new song You've given us. We give all praise, glory, and honor to the name of Jesus. It's in His awesome name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. Go in peace. God bless.